Recently, Deb and I attended another wedding here at King's. On this occasion, it was on the lease site, and Josh and Naomi were getting married. They were becoming Mr. and Mrs. Levine, and it was great for us to be there. We enjoyed being there to enjoy the day of celebration. And of course, when you go to a wedding, it reminds you of your own wedding day. Deb and I were married, uh, was approaching 28 years ago. And here's a couple of pictures of uh, our wedding day. Uh, One where we're exchanging rings and promising to be faithful and love one another for the rest of our lives. And the other is just assigning the register, you know, the legal component of uh, being married. Jesus was asked in Mark's gospel, uh, Mark 10, about divorce. The Pharisees had come up to him and they were, as they try to do from time to time, trick him with the interpretation of the law, particularly Moses' comments on divorce. And Jesus saw that coming and didn't always answer directly the question that the Pharisees threw at him. On this occasion, asked a question about divorce, he took the opportunity to reaffirm the priority and the importance of lifelong commitment in marriage. It's recorded in Mark 10. It's come on the screen for you. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Asked a question about divorce, he responds with reaffirming uh, the importance of lifelong commitment in in marriage. I'm always amazed whenever I go to a wedding how quickly you can become a married couple. Uh, And uh, you say some promises to God, you say some uh, promises to each other. Uh, You've got family and friends there supporting you. The two become one uh, later in the day for literally physical union. And then you enter a legal contract and people are are witnesses to that. Uh, In fact, uh, nowadays there's so much energy that goes into just getting to the wedding day. So I'm amazed what guys do now when it comes to just getting engaged and it's sort of uh, lots of sort of different sort of quizzes and trials and all ending with uh, a man on his knee and it caught on Facebook. There's huge energy going into just getting engaged and then of course there's all the preparation for the wedding day and all the money that's spent on that. And the wedding day is important but as I say to my boys, I say, you know, the wedding day is a day but a marriage is built over a lifetime. A marriage is built over a lifetime. But the wedding day is important because it's a day of covenant. It's a day of uh, making promises. It's, it's a day of covenanting before God and one uh, with another to stay faithful until, the, uh, until death us do part. Uh, it's a day of commitment. It's a day of a beginning of a growing companionship. Um, at the wedding we were at, we were sitting near the back and around us were well, four or five couples that have been married for quite a few years. I think between us, there's well over 100 years of marriage experience. 
And I'm sure as we're sitting there, we're enjoying the day. It's great to see a young uh, Christian couple in love together getting married. Uh, But also, you're aware that challenges are going to come. Challenges are ahead. Um, So there might be challenges to do with health, or there might be challenges to do with money. And that's why in the vows, you make promises like in sickness and health, and for richer, for poorer. But of course, we also know that marriage done well, all research shows that marriage done well is that there's at least the opportunity for you to be healthier and wealthier. Today, we want to look at some of the, those challenges that do come along. Uh, and that's why we've called this message Understanding uh, Difference. Uh, and if you're single here today, particularly if you're single and you might hope that one day you might be married, this message is very relevant for you as well. Uh, because our culture has shifted on roles and expectations in marriage, and that is impacting in, and actually creating delay for people to commit. And uh, sometimes it's just really helpful to be aware of that. In fact, uh, Deb is now going to come and just uh, talk a little bit about expectations. I'm going to start by telling a little story, which I've probably told before, but it's just a really good story for demonstrating my point. When I was growing up, my dad was the one who took responsibility for making sure that everyone in our household was up in the morning. My mum commuted to London early every morning for work, so my dad, who left for work a bit later, would get up first and he'd bring each of us, first my mum, then my brother and I, a cup of tea in bed to wake us up. It was great. When I got married, it came as a big shock to me to find out that this was not something that Steve expected to do. I had assumed that bringing a cup of tea to your wife each morning was something that all husbands did. And I admit, I was really a bit disappointed when I discovered that this wasn't the case. Now, it is perhaps a silly example, but it demonstrates how, without even realising it sometimes, we all bring expectations into our marriage, based on what has been modelled to us at home or in our communities. We may already be aware of what some of those expectations are. In fact, sometimes we may be determined not to follow them. But often, we're not aware of them. As we've been growing up, we will have absorbed ways of communicating, handling conflict, bringing up children, what value should be placed on education, how we should handle money, and how we should do family traditions. And no two families are the same. And there will inevitably be areas of difference with our spouse which we will have to navigate. Tim Keller, in his excellent book, The Meaning of Marriage, describes how Western society in particular has created an even greater weight of expectation for marriage in today's generation. He describes what he calls a growing idealism linked to Western culture's changing understanding of the very purpose of marriage. The book talks about how marriage used to be viewed traditionally as a way of fulfilling community responsibilities, but now it is seen as a means of personal fulfillment. Where marriage used to be about us, it's now about me. 
There is a common idealistic belief in today's society that you should only marry when you have found your one true love, your perfectly compatible soulmate. And this soulmate will be someone who accepts you just as you are, who makes no demands on you, doesn't expect you to change in any way, and with whom you will always have an amazing sex life. And this idealism is happening alongside, strangely, an increased pessimism about marriage. Tim Keller puts it this way. Both men and women today see marriage as a, not as a way of creating character and community, but as a way to reach personal life goals. They are all looking for a marriage partner who will fulfill their emotional, spiritual, and sexual desires. And that creates an extreme idealism that in turn leads to a deep pessimism that you will ever find the right person to marry. You see, what happens now is that people put off getting married because they don't yet feel they've found the perfect partner. And then if they do marry, they are ill-prepared for any conflicts or disagreements which will inevitably arise. And any need to change personally can be viewed as a sign that you've simply married the wrong person. And this feeds into society's perception that most marriages don't work anyway, and so the relationship is all too easily abandoned. Now, Christian marriage offers us a different model, described like this in Tim Keller's book. We should rightly object to the binary choice that both traditional and contemporary marriage seem to give us. Is the purpose of marriage to deny your interest for the good of the family, or is it rather to assert your interest for the fulfillment of yourself? The Christian teaching does not offer a choice between fulfillment and sacrifice, but rather mutual fulfillment through mutual sacrifice. You see, the gospel provides the secret of a good marriage. The model for Christian marriage is one in which we lay down our own agendas in order to serve the other, motivated by our love for that person. And when we each do that in a marriage, the relationship, it matures, it deepens, it grows, and we find that we each benefit. We are going to be looking at three of the main areas of difference that you're likely to come across in marriage, and we're going to be suggesting that by working through them together rather than by treating them as potential roadblocks, our marriages can flourish. And um, the first area that we're going to be looking at is the area of cultural differences. Uh, as we were thinking about this, uh, we're aware that actually all marriages come with a different kind of cultural or modelling or history, like uh, some fathers bring cups of tea for their daughters and things like that. They do. Uh, and it's a great disappointment in the household. Uh, but we felt particularly that in a king's context, the challenge of cross-cultural marriage is, is very real. And so we have recorded uh, a couple of video interviews with people in the church who are uh, living in a cross-cultural marriage. And we're going to hear from them now. And firstly, it's going to be Quaker and Lucy, and then it's Bright and Siobhan. I mean, Lucy and I are both from very different cultures, and it's been great over the years that we've been married just to draw out the richness in both our cultures and to make it really work for us. Um, I was born in Ghana to Ghanaian parents and spent the first 10 years of my life in Ghana. 
we lived and traveled in different countries across the world and I came to the UK when I was 13 with my brother and my sister. Um, and I would say that for a large part of my life, I'd always felt that my view on life was made up from um, a diverse cultural input. But I would say it really wasn't until the first few months in our marriage when I actually realized that I was quite strongly influenced by my Ghanaian upbringing. And I was raised by two Welsh parents in Wales with two sets of Welsh grandparents. And I was not exposed to much diversity at all in my upbringing. Um, it was only when I went to university that I experienced different cultures. And uh, when Quaker and I were engaged, we had marriage prep with some white British people who didn't talk about the challenges that diversity in marriage can bring. And we were possibly naive about the actually the impact diversity can have in marriage. And uh, we firmly believed that we would follow the word in our marriage and that the things we had in common would be good enough to overcome any challenges of diversity. Well, you know, one area was around our different expectations on the role of a husband and a wife. So I grew up in a cultural environment where very much my dad was the primary caretaker of our family and his responsibility to ensure that as a family we were taken care of. He set the pace of life and also the direction of life. Um, my mother also had a full-time job, but in addition, she carried the responsibility of looking after the day-to-day -day aspects of the household, of making sure that as children we were looked after and also for providing meals. Um, in thinking back over my childhood, I don't recall a single time seeing my dad in the kitchen preparing a meal for us. Um, and there was even one instance when my mum was away for two weeks and for two weeks, every single night, the, th the four of us, we ate out throughout that entire pe period because that was just how things were in our household. Whereas for me, uh, the household was sort of run uh, together. Uh, my parents definitely had defined roles and took on particular tasks, but they were often interchangeable and flexible. My dad could cook, he could clean, but he mainly did the maintenance jobs around the house. And my mum was looking after us because she worked from home. But it was definitely a team effort and we were all involved in the upkeep of the home. Um, and so that was very different and it formed our expectations when we were first married. I expected, because we were both working full-time, that we would both then look after the house and do the cooking and the shopping and everything together. And actually, that is, is how it became for us. That was what we had to talk about, though, that we couldn't make assumptions that that was how it was going to be. Yeah. I think I remember going through a challenging period of whenever my parents or my family came to stay with us, that I would feel slightly embarrassed and uncomfortable in having to do you know chores and tasks that we did together over the weekends and during the week in front of them because in our culture those were roles that the wife took on um, and so during that period I would you know subconsciously adopt a persona that Lucy probably wasn't used to um, simply to please my parents and you know it wasn't easy, I think it certainly wasn't easy for you, but over time, you know, once I got to the stage of talking to my parents about it, it really was more of an issue for me 
than it was for them. In fact, they didn't have an issue at all. They just wanted Lucy and I to be both very happy in our marriage and uh, that was certainly the only ask of us. So I'm Bright, or should I say I'm Bright, a Joel Quarting Jr. <laughs> and um, I was born and raised in the southwest of London, but um, originally my parents come from Ghana, so um, I said I'm Ghanaian as well, so um, yeah. Hi, I'm Siobhan. I was born here, but my parents are Jamaican and I grew up in South East London. I'll definitely say one of the things, um, which is, I would say, a cultural difference is um, the naming ceremony uh, yeah. that we've done for our, our daughter, Abriana. Yeah. And um, so in Ghanaian, sort of in the Ghanaian tradition, we name, um, or the, we name our children after um, our parents. So, for example, Abriana is named after my dad. Her Ghanaian name would be my dad's traditional name. Um, so that was, that's something which is obviously a part of her full name. And uh, I think that was definitely a cultural difference or a part of the culture which I had to sort of explain to Siobhan. Um, having a child to say that, you know, um, that will sort of um, be a part of Abriana's name. Um, of course, we chose her, her first name, her Christian name, so to speak. Um, but there's definitely an element of her name from a Ghanaian culture perspective that um, is sort of by default given by the grandparent. Mm. And uh, I guess that, that was something, you know, that you sort of had to adjust or I don't know. Yeah, that's right. I yeah. had to adjust to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, wasn't it just fantastic to see... Uh, Kaika and Lucy and Brian Siobhan were so grateful uh, to them for sharing their challenges and the differences they faced in a cross-cultural marriage. The second area of difference we're going to look at is where people had different personalities, personality difference. Deb and I have done a number of these personality tests and we found them really helpful. We found them helpful to understand ourselves and also to help us understand each other. And it's definitely aided us in our communication. Uh, one of the books uh, we've read, uh, The Ten Lessons to Transforming Your Marriage, uh, the writers of that book in an article quoted a statistic that says approximately 68% of perpetual arguments in marriage are due to differing personalities. Just think about that for a moment. 68% of perpetual arguments in marriage are due to differing personalities. It's very common in marriage to, actually 80% of the time, things are going really well. There is harmony and resolution when there's difference. But there can become particular areas where you kind of keep going around and keep coming back to the same subject matter. And it's helpful to reflect on that the issue might be all to do with personality difference and how that's impacting how you communicate around a particular issue. So understanding different personalities and how you're wired is really helpful, particularly for communication in marriage. Deb, I wondered if you could just give us an example of how our differing personalities impact our marriage. Yes, I mean, we have found that there can be real strength in difference Steve and I are clearly very different in personality, but we actually complement each other really well. So let me just give you one example. When it comes to making a decision, whether that's what colour to paint the bathroom or where we should go on holiday next year, 
I like to take my time. I like to consider all the options. Now, the danger in that is that I procrastinate and I never actually make a decision. Steve, on the other hand, likes to make decisions quickly. The danger in this is that he doesn't always choose the best option. So we now work together and take the best of each, what we call leaning towards one another in our differences. So I will often do all the research and then we'll look at that together. And that way we choose more wisely, but we do actually make a decision. By working together, taking the best of each, we do better than we would do on our own, we've found. Another difference for us is, as we've probably said before, is I'm an external person, Deb is more internal, and this, particularly in the early years of, years of our marriage, caused some tension where we might be talking about something, and I'd want resolution, I want to talk it out, and as I'm talking out, I'm coming to a view where I discover Deb needs time to reflect, sometimes days of time to reflect. And while Deb was internalising and thinking this through, it would be like silence on the subject. And I, I would literally say to you, are you thinking about this? And you say, so yeah. I, yes, you say, yes, I am. I said, well, I just, I just don't know because nothing's been said for two or three days. Um, I think over the years I've matured to allow Deb to have space to kind of think things through and reflect internally before she speaks out what she thinks. Yeah. And probably you've understood the yes. need to kind of make me aware that it's still on your agenda, yeah? Yes, so I think, in, you know, from my side, I lean towards Steve by making sure that every now and then I just say to him, it's okay, I am thinking about this and I will be ready to talk about it on this day. Yeah, and we've also found that sometimes it's really helpful to agree when you are going to talk about it and also the context you discuss this. We, mm. we found maybe a walk, going on a walk together yeah. or a, a coffee somewhere might a coffee be... coffee shop. We're just better behaved, behaved. in public, yeah. we find. Uh, that's true. Um, here's um, uh, Kwaku's uh, uh, example of this from their marriage. Yeah, we're, we're as different as black and white. <laughs> um, we are very, very different people. So Kwaku's quite quiet. Uh, he's laid back, relaxed, not, not much phases him. Um, he's not an emotionally led person. Um, and he's logical and able to compartmentalise. Um, I'm probably the opposite of all of those things. I'm sensitive, emotional, more outgoing. Um, I don't compartmentalise well and I like to talk a lot, especially when I'm processing. As you can imagine, we have no conflict at all in our marriage. <laughs> um, but, you know, one of the things that, again, we, we have consciously uh, talked a lot about, and certainly f for me, is about talking a lot more about how I feel and how I am, you know, thinking and actually making sure that Lucy is aware rather than having to mind read and guess what on earth is going on in my mind. Um, and also I've had to endure endless hours of communicating with Lucy um, just to make sure that we are on the same page. So I think there has, you know, been a lot of adaptation, um, you know, knowing our different personalities to actually make sure that it works and just how we communicate has really been at the heart of that. Yeah. Um, the last area that we're going to be looking at today is the whole area of gender difference. 
It will come as no surprise to most of us to learn that men and women are different. God made mankind in his image, both male and female. And this difference and diversity in marriage is actually a gift from God. Now, Steve and I have found that our awareness of the differences between how men and women tend to process life was really heightened by reading the books For Men Only and For Women Only by Shanti Feldhahn. Now, the author of these books is a researcher, she's an analyst, and in each book, she looks at the results of extensive surveys that she's carried out in order to try and discover the things that men wish women understood about them and vice versa. And she is at pains to emphasize that these are trends, not everyone is like this. But Steve and I have certainly found that many of them are true for us, and the books have proved a really helpful discussion tool for us. They've helped us to understand how some of the differences between us are just part of being male and female. And having that awareness helps us to accept one another, understand one another, rather than assuming that there is a right way to do or see things, which is obviously my way. Hmm. So I'm just going to give you a couple of examples. I think the one that I found most helpful was the revelation from this book that men tend to connect emotionally through sex. It's not just a physical thing. It meets an emotional need for them. Now, I'm sure many of us here are not at all surprised by that. But it brought home to me again just how important having a good love life in marriage is. And Steve and I are actually going to be talking a lot more about the differences between men and women in this whole area in our marriage seminar, which this year is taking place on June the 24th. Call it Sex, Romance and God. Um, and it's a fun morning and we <laughs> highly recommend it to all married couples who are here. But I think another thing that I found really helpful from this book was what the author calls the loneliest burden, how a man's need to provide for his family weighs him down, and actually, he quite likes it that way. This really surprised me. I read it, and I thought, well, surely in our kind of egalitarian age, age where both men and women tend to be working, that's just not an issue anymore. And so I, I talked to Steve about it, and I said, is this true? And he said, yes, no, that's, that's really true. I really feel that. Um, and suddenly, I found that I understood why Steve spends so long on spreadsheets checking our finances. And it's not actually just because he loves spreadsheets, although he does. Um, and it, I realized that, you know, when I start talking casually about maybe we could redecorate the living room this way or something like that, Steve would immediately go to his spreadsheets and he'd be trying to work out if it was something we could afford to do or not. And all I was really doing was having a kind of creative, imaginary time thinking about what we could do. I wasn't seriously thinking we're going to do this. But it actually put a bit of a burden on him. And I'd just never seen it that way before. So now I tend to preface my mental redecorating ideas with, I'm not really thinking we could do this, but... Or else I just keep my ideas to myself, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> uh, another example uh, about difference when it comes to gender is, uh, I mean, something that I probably knew but wasn't very good at. Uh, but these books, I mean, we'd been married nearly 20 years when we read them, yeah. and they really did sort of highlight some fresh thinking and reinforce some things we already knew. But 
the importance of emotional connection mm. and sometimes just the importance of listening and not mm. coming up with a solution and closure too quickly. Uh, the importance just to connect through many differing ways uh, and uh, th th that's very, very important um, uh, for most women. Uh, and I think Quaco learnt this one as well. So let's just hear from Quaco one last time. I think one of the things I've learnt is whenever Lucy talks about something like her heart or, you know, just an issue, she doesn't necessarily always want me to fix it. Um, I probably had a habit of listening to the first 20 seconds of what Lucy was saying and then quickly interrupting and arriving at the solution because I thought, well, that's exactly what she came to me for. But I think throughout our, throughout our marriage, I've probably realised that there are times when Lucy just wants to talk. Lucy wants someone to hear her out, to listen, to understand how she's feeling, to empathise, um, and actually in that moment doesn't want a solution. Well, I mean, I think a lot of guys could relate to, uh, to that one. Thank you, Kwaku, and a challenge to us to be good listeners, guys. Hey, look, we've just got a few minutes left, and so I just want to land this message with a very quick uh, a few points of application. First, let's, uh, let's be learners. Let's learn to understand difference and appreciate them. Difference can cause uh, roadblocks or conflict even, but actually they also can, we can complement each other, uh, as uh, Deb alluded to earlier, and then come up and make better decisions because we take our differences, uh, differences and make them work for good. Encourage everyone to read widely, if you're married here, to read widely about marriage. We at least read one book about this a year, and we find that that fuels our marriage and it, it stimulates good conversation. Uh, communication is key. Um, in fact, the marriage course that starts on Tuesday evening here at King's, Deb and I will be speaking on Tuesday evening, the first four sessions are really about communication. Because where there is difference, you've got to kind of talk with one another and you've got to adapt and adjust. And so uh, uh, good skills, good listening skills uh, are really important. So communication is key. Uh, as I said, we'd love everyone in the church to do the marriage course. We start one on Tuesday. There's a few spaces left. Or, or come to the marriage seminar that Deb alluded to earlier. And uh, we just got a final clip from Bright and Siobhan who were on the marriage course last year. So let's have a quick look at that. In regards to the marriage course, I found it really, really helpful. We just understood so much mm. um, more about marriage um, and just how good it can be. Mm. Um, but I would, I would so recommend it. I think if we could do it every year, if we could, because I, I, I understand that in marriage you go through different seasons. So yeah. I definitely feel it can really help to sharpen and, and tweak your marriage for the better. Mm. Pretty much agree with everything that Siobhan said. Uh, I would definitely sort of look for us to be a part of um, the marriage course every year, um, just because of their benefits and just their helpful conversations. So there's a few places left for this year, so if you want to get in, uh, you need to move quickly this morning. And then lastly, as you go, we uh, wrote an article a number of years ago but, uh, about the book Men and Women Only. So if you can't sort of stretch to read the books, then please take a free copy of the article we wrote, which hopefully will stimulate some helpful and good conversation. Uh, let's, let's just uh, close this morning by praying together for the marriages in the church. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord. 
Lord, we do just want to thank you for the gift of marriage, and we want to pray for every marriage here and in the church here at King's. We want to pray that we would learn to grow and mature in marriage, that, Lord, that we would know that uh, we're in a covenant relationship. Uh, We pray, help us continue to be committed. And, Lord, we just pray for great companionship and fun. And we know that marriages go through different seasons, sometimes challenging. But we pray, God, that you be with us. We do pray, uh, Deb and I, we pray for every marriage here that you would bless it, keep it, Strengthen it, grow it, and Lord, that uh, uh, the marriages here at King's would be great, fun, healthy uh, relationships that would uh, glorify God and serve many, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.